0: Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know how to help you. Now, here's your host, Jordan Goodman.
1: Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Vince Schorb. He is the founder and CEO of the National Financial Educators Council, which is an organization dedicated to promoting financial literacy uh, in the country. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Vince. Hey, thanks for having me, Jordan. Just get a brief history of you and how you got to
2: creating this organization. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, when my start was really in childhood, I was always interested in money, always the frugal and saving money, always had some type of side business going on. So I was always into that. Uh, Around my high school years, I started to uh, sneak off to the back of class to read my dad's books on real estate and foreclosures instead of paying attention. And I just really enjoyed it. And I actually followed through. I ended up purchasing real estate at a young age, gotten into some smaller businesses that offset a job I had and, and uh, you know played around with stocks as well. And I had some early success and I was feeling good. And the thing I liked most about that time was really my friends, my parents' friends, asking me what they should do and just needing help with budget, trying to plan buying a home. And I really enjoyed that uh, part in my life. Uh, and then college years, got off course, I made some dumb mistakes, uh, you know, just was didn't have the fundamentals in place and uh, uh, ended up really struggling for many years. Uh, and it was a challenging time for me, you know, going from somewhat comfortable, right? Uh, to scrounging through couch cushions, wondering if my car's gonna break down um, and just hoping I had enough gas to get to and from school at the time. So those were challenging years, but uh, after I graduated, uh, my goal was to get back into financial services as a way to provide people some support uh, and guide them on their finances. And uh, I realized after many years in a conversation with my mom when I was felt a little lost, she said, you know, you always talked about teaching youth about money. And so when I came back uh, from my trip to my, my parents up in Montana, I went back and I started uh, the National Financial Educators Council in 2006 to focus on teaching youth about money at the time.
1: So there are a lot of organizations in this space, the Jumpstart Coalition and various other groups. Why did you think there was a need to create the National Financial Educators Council?
2: Yeah, there's a lot of missing pieces, especially with the standard alignment and and just the overall way that people are growing. Our focus is on being independent, so we don't take any national sponsors that have influence over what we're teaching. We don't work with any credit card companies because we don't want that in schools. And our role and mission is really to help local champions Build and scale financial wellness programs in their local community. So we train financial educators, we train financial coaches, and provide them the resources and training. Whether it be a nonprofit, a college, uh, a, a school, a, a financial advisor, anybody that feels passionate, we want to help them build local campaigns in their community uh, uh, to really get that out there on a, a le- on a more of a grassroots level. Let's start with a broad view
1: of financial education in the country. There's tons of programs out there, there are a lot of schools teaching it. People have access to newspapers and CNBC and the internet, all kinds of information. Is the state of financial education pretty good in the country or not so good? Uh,
2: I, would, I would give it an F grade uh, across. Now, I do believe we're at a very blessed time. We have access to more information, which is wonderful. Um, but I think financial literacy programs, especially in schools, are are well subpar of what's needed. Um, you know, we look at financial habits when they're formed in, in childhood. They develop through those years, no financial education. Typically, the parents aren't teaching kids about money either. And when they go to high school, they're not focused on preparing them for near life events. So what we see a lot with these uh, states with uh, financial literacy standards, Florida and New York to name a few, they'll list a bunch of topics, but there's no clear outcome goals where if we just switch the focus in high school to make sure that they're prepared to open their first accounts, make sure they're prepared to make a a college decision in alignment with longer term goals, make sure they're prepared to move out on their own, I think we can accomplish much more and it would garner more interest from the youth as we do it. So what are the financial implications for the country of financial education being, as you say, an F grade? yeah, uh, I think it's it's devastating not only to uh, the country but to individuals, right? So uh, individuals' life, there's so much tied in with finances. Um, going back to my story earlier, and I know many of your listeners have experienced those challenges where it's sleepless nights, sick feeling to your stomach. you don't want to open the the statement because you know that credit card bill got bigger. Um so from a, a personal issue the the impact is devastating. Uh, from a local tax base issue, from a local uh, uh, spending issue, so people that can't afford to go to shop locally, um, you know it devastates uh, it impacts I want to say devastates, impacts local economies as well as the the national economy as well and I think tied in with financial literacy is also income and work ethic I think that's part of financial literacy some people separate it it's the engine that drives it without income you, you can't manage any money um, so um, you know I think a focus on on helping youth and, and young adults focus on that career path at a young age as well will help to drive more contributors to society
1: it's kind of ironic because today we have about 11 and unfilled jobs yeah. uh, because uh, a lot of younger people don't want to take the jobs that baby boomers had. Uh, yet we have a lot of people who are getting out of college, don't really have the, the skills they need or they're kind of lost. What can be done to match the people that are looking for jobs with all these employers that are desperate to hire people?
2: Yeah, early in what we put together with our financial literacy material, we're starting career planning from a young age where it starts with parents just exposing them to different careers. If a child has an interest diving into that with them, whether it be going to visit, uh, maybe they like a BMX's, BMX racing. So you take them to a BMX course and point out, hey, this person does the merchandising, this person does this. So helping them really dig in and explore what they like. And then it should be a a, a essential backbone of what we're teaching in schools as well uh, simply because uh, over 50% of college students switch their major at least once before they graduate. Um, So what that means is more money out of pocket for school and you're entering into college not really knowing or having an idea. I know myself at 17, 18 years old, I was like, I have no idea what I want to do. We're asking these students to make a very big decisions with absolutely minimal career exploration before. Um, So I think that may be one part of that solution to help uh, uh, youth prepare. So who would be the
1: one to do that? I mean, in high schools, there's typically a career counselor or maybe a college counselor helping them figure out the best school, but they're not really designed to help them pick the best career.
2: Is that something they should focus on more? Oh, We we should have somebody there. I know my uh, college career counselor, college counselor, the advice they gave me was go visit three to five schools, see what you like most um, and go to that college. Right. And that made absolutely no sense. Of course, I picked the one where it looked the funnest um and you know but that's not good guidance so they need to be retrained on how to evaluate college from a roi perspective uh either them or somebody else at the school needs to get them into a career planning and it can't just be crammed into 10 hours right it needs to be uh, a you know more exploratory so it takes longer time if we're starting in elementary school and, and, and exposing them to these, these things they should be considering young, uh, that will help better direct them so they don't feel like, oh, I need to figure out what I need to do in the next 10-hour class, otherwise I'm lost. So it starts early, it continues often, and I think parents and schools are mutually responsible. And even in college,
1: there are these career planning places. Do you think they do a good job at, at guiding students to good
2: careers? Uh, no, uh, at least my experience. Uh, I haven't, uh, you know, been, I've, you know, graduated from a Cal State Fullerton. It's not a top school, but it was a good school. And uh, absolutely not. First, it was very hard to get in. And I'm dating myself. This is going back 30 years. So things may have changed. Um, but I haven't heard of major changes in that environment in quite a while. In the colleges that uh, I toured regularly uh, uh, as of five years ago, um, those were, you know, I talked to students. I'd say, hey, how many people know uh, how much you have in student loan debt? A couple people would raise their hand each time uh, that I'd ask how many people know what you're going to be paying for student loan debt. And only in all my time doing that, talking to uh, thousands, if not tens of thousands of students, one person had that plan laid out what they were going to be paying. Um, the other questions I would ask was regard to, hey, do you guys know what you want to do, right? Um, so there was always the, the a few more hands went up, but most people were still trying to figure things out in college.
1: So specifically related to student debt, we're, we're now up to about 1.7 trillion yeah. in student debt. Um, people are taking on, I think the average is something like 38,000 when they graduate. Are you saying that if they had better financial education from the beginning they would not be taking on that amount of debt how would that work
2: it's possible they would so what we want uh, students to do is evaluate school from a roi perspective if you're going to be a elementary school teacher which is a very esteemed profession but does not get paid much um don't go to harvard right unless you've got a huge scholarship and you don't know, don't get two three hundred thousand dollars in student loan debt if you're going to be making 50 grand a year um instead consider that school that that will help you generate that roi uh, at a young enough age where you can put that money to work for you um you know same thing we see with um you know if you're going to be a, a you know you, your vision is to be that big lawyer at a, a partner at a firm um that only has these these high level graduates you need, you need to take that chance, uh, but for a lot of people, they're just choosing schools based off, you know, what it looks like, right? And there's other alternatives, too. You go to a two-year school, then transfer for to a four-year school. Um, there's online universities. If maybe you want to be, you know, a, a lower-paying profession, but they need a base-level degree, so if they only need a degree from an online college, that might be an option for you. So we're just saying expose them to more of these alternative education methods so they can make decisions better in alignment with longer term goals, not just graduating college goals. Some are saying that
1: COVID actually changed a lot of people's perspective on college. They were going to college from their home bedroom, actually not having much of a college experience the last two years or so and saying, well, maybe I don't need this expense that goes along with it. Do you think that has changed the perception
2: of uh, the necessary the need to go to college? Uh, that's a great point. I'm not sure of that, but uh, thanks for raising my awareness on that. And I can see how that would happen. I'm um, Just knowing some friends with high school students, I know it's been uh, a, a different experience for them and not having the connections and relationships that you traditionally develop via school. So I know at least the handful of people I talk to about that age are, are wanting that reconnection. But I can see your point. Those people that say, hey, I can do it from home, uh, they, I think that could be a good awakening for many that like to learn in that method. Very good. We're going to take a
1: break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Vince Shord. He is the CEO and founder of the National Financial Educators Council, which is an organization dedicated to promoting financial literacy in the country. You can find out more at his website, financialeducatorscouncil.org. We'll be back after this. All around the world, tech companies are innovating and driving returns for investors. Our crowd analyzes companies across the global market, selecting those with the greatest growth potential then bringing them to you. From personalized medicine to robotics to cybersecurity, where companies spend $150 billion annually, our crowd is identifying innovators so you can invest when growth potential is greatest, which is early. Our crowd is the fastest growing venture capital investment community. Our crowd's accredited investors have already used the platform to invest over $1 billion in growing tech companies. 21 of the portfolio companies are unicorns, and many of our crowd's members have benefited from over 50 IPOs, or sale exits, of portfolio companies. Now you can invest in Sotero, which has developed a patented new approach to data protection that eliminates the gaps of traditional methods, securing any data asset, whether it's on-premise or in the cloud. Sotero is trusted by one of the world's largest pharmaceutical companies. Explore Sotero's potential at ourcrow.com/answers. You can join our crowd for free at ourcrow.com/answers. Join the fastest growing venture capital investment community at slash answers
0: Nobody likes the guy who says, "I told you so." The guy
2: in 1991 who said to you, "Invest in the internet. It's going to be huge." Or the guy in
0: 1997 who said, come on, this is gonna be big, they call it social media. And the guy in 2009 who said, I'm telling you man, crypto is real. Now, I'm not gonna be that guy who says, I told you so. But I am telling
2: you that there is a 21 year old international company where you can become a global project partner, earning a passive income doing exactly what you're doing at this moment. No selling, no recruiting clients, no administering a business after hours. Visit www.mypassiveincome.life now. That's mypassiveincome.life. Don't let history repeat itself on
0: this one. Earn a passive income. Now listen again. That's mypassiveincome.life.
2: We're always talking business
1: Welcome back to The Money Answers Show, this is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Vince Schorb. He is the CEO and founder of the National Financial Educators Council, which is an organization dedicated to promoting financial literacy. You can find out more at his website, financialeducatorscouncil.org. Welcome back to the show, Vince. Hey, thanks, Jordan. So, specifically, what do you do to help teachers uh, learn how to teach personal finance?
2: Yeah, yeah. So first with teachers and educators that have a a formal education on that side, you know, a lot are missing that content knowledge side. So the basics of personal finance, right? Uh, Whatever subject they're teaching, history, economics, they went to school for many years to teach that. They haven't learned oftentimes the basics of personal finance. Uh, Then we tie that in with education methodologies that they may be familiar with through uh, teaching. However, Uh, With money, as you know, there's a lot of behavior, sentiment, emotions mixed in with the reasons people are making financial decisions. So really how to leverage those traditional education methodologies with the unique topic of personal finance because every single person in that room has a different financial situation, different goals in life different habits, um, and different relationship with money that that need to be addressed strategically. Um, So we provide them that training and then the resources and curriculum, lesson plans, activities, online learning, and, and things like that to help and support them down that path.
1: So there are many, many curricula out there. In fact, many financial service companies, credit card companies, banks, mutual fund companies, all types produce curricula. Yeah. um how does a financial educator pick what curriculum
2: they should use with this just plethora of material out there yeah I, you know it really comes down to what's in a what the reason for that curriculum is let's start there you know government organizations financial services there's ulterior motives some is okay I'm, I haven't been too impressed with a lot of materials out there. Um. So, you know, like, uh, you know, the uh, the uh, uh, different organization will promote their agenda within that curriculum. I think an independent curriculum is one of the first things you look for. Second, hey, what type of education methodologies are they utilizing? Most curriculum out there is just PowerPoint presentation. I'm standing up there PowerPointing somebody to death. Maybe they'll get some activity um, in lesson. Uh, so ours is really designed to align with research-based education principles like being able to develop strong reasons for learning, addressing timely topics in their life, allowing using case method approach where they're giving advice to other people through these uh, case studies, uh, uh, utilizing project-based learning that are reality-based things that they need in the real world, and mixing that up with presentation and and skill-building activities. So I think utilizing what the data out there tells us instead of just producing presentations is really the critical difference between uh, what's traditionally out there and what we produce.
1: So what role does online learning play today, particularly uh, kind of interactive online? Are there games? Are there kind of fun things that people can do to learn personal finance these days?
2: Yeah, you know, it it really depends on the learner. Everybody learns differently, right? So some people like to read. Some people like to, to construct and build. Some people like more that online detach where they have control over the time and space so it really depends on the learner where we typically see the best results in in classes because each learner is different is when there's a mixture of what we call blended learning where there's some live instruction there's some online instruction and then there's some accountability as well Um, and this method it, it you know aligns with more of the learning styles Uh, So we're going to attract more people to actually benefit from what's being presented. Um, So if you're teaching somebody that's a very high, you know, uh, auditory learner and you're just providing them visuals, it's not a good match. But if they have an option to learn down their preferred method, that's what we try to present. How early do you start? Do you start in kindergarten? Uh, Age three. Age three uh, is when we can teach some. Fundamental things. When I'm saying fundamental things, I think the core fundamental things are having them start to build habits as far as they do some form of chore in activity and earn compensation for that payment for that chore. They're contributing to household bills at a young age and saving for the short and long term. Now, age three, four, they don't really get it, right? But it's about building those habits and muscles. They have the ability to, uh, uh, you know, do some basic chores. Then they're starting to connect. Hey, I'm getting paid for doing this. Oh, I'm paying for the house and and some other basic things. And then we could grow with them over time. Uh, But I I would say the real lessons could start about five, six. But I know most people think financial education. I got to sit down with my kid at the table and teach them. When in reality, it's implementing either some similar thing to the chore system or really utilizing those teachable moments. So when you're out there shopping and you're looking at different prices, you're explaining that to your kid. Or when you're meeting your financial advisor, you bring them along so they can uh, understand what a professional relationship is like. All these teachable moments can be also uh, valuable for them growing up. How do financial
1: habits form? Some people say that, they're kind of the opposite of their parents, some do the same as their parents. For example, by generation. Uh, in the Depression, people were traumatized by the Depression, so the, those people came out very frugal and conservative and anti-risk. And then the baby boomers grew up, for the most part, in the, the flourishing 60s and 70s, and have the opposite financial habits from their parents that might have been through the Depression. How, how do these things change over generations?
2: Yeah, great question. And, and you pointed out one of the major factors, environment, right? Environment. So who are your parents? What lessons are they teaching? Who are those people that are surrounding you has a major influence on somebody's uh, early financial habits and behaviors? Uh, additionally, we look at advertisers. Billions and billions of dollars are spent annually to advertise highly f- sophisticated ads to kids Um, And before age eight, they really can't determine if it's commercial or non-commercial content. So Advertisers have a major influence at a very young age. This is only reinforced with the new type of of Influencer the youtuber the 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 bloggers, etc. The 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 people uh, uh, that others follow and We see with kids YouTube videos some of the biggest views are on what we call unboxing videos where a little kid will get a uh, present or a new toy and it will get out and play with it. Some of the biggest views there and with teens, they call it hauling videos where they'll go shopping and show their haul for the day. Um, so all these things are impacting and then uh, individuals, And we have the Kardashian type influencers and others having that impact. Uh, uh, this all impacts not only that individual child, but their chi- that child's friends. So the peers are wanting to do those things too, get those new shoes, go on that new trip, or, or show off in a certain way. And then we have parents that are overwhelmed as it is, that are you know getting bombarded. I, I ran across a, a, a lady, this was a few years ago, uh, but a lady was at the supermarket, kid in the, the, the uh, cart, a little four or five-year-old uh, down, and she had this little princess wand thing filled with candy, it was like a, a Princess Disney thing at the top. And she just throwing a fit, you know, and her, her mom's like, no, 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 we can't have it, we can't have it. And after a while, she gave in. Right? I understand it. She's busy, couple kids, probably has a very busy day. But that just reinforced a very negative habit. So it started with the ads, maybe the influencers. Now this kid wants something so much, this demand is there. And then she, this little kid sees us, just throws a fit, and then the mom caves in. So What's going to happen later when that child is on her own and she can't have something she wants? So it's a, uh, you know not only influencers but we have reinforcers of these habits that occur frequently at a young age.
1: So what is the better way, you, you go into a toy store with a kid and they have a fit, what is a better way for a parent to deal with that situation?
2: Um, Our way is hey, they're having chores at a young age So the parents never buying anything for the kid the kid is using their own money and having to make that decision at an age Right, so maybe the parent gives them a bigger allowance, right? Maybe you're not going to give a a a three-year-old normally a a $50 allowance But if if you know they're five or six and you know, hey, I'm happy to spend $100 a month On my child you give allowance that would accommodate that making sure the chores match and make sure they're only spending the money that they earn so they have to make that decision is it this important to me do I need this more than something else do I want that bike more than this uh, little stuffed toy right now so they're starting to build these muscles and habits of age when most people don't
1: let's talk specifically about investing and learning about investing Uh, Do most kids get exposed to the stock market investing in mutual funds early enough?
2: Uh, Some, you know, I think, uh, you know, nowadays, I think a lot, there's a big interest in crypto and these other things, which are all great, um, you know, and so I think, any time a kid's gonna learn about something, I heard your guest a a few weeks ago, the the crypto uh, guy for for kids, which I thought was interesting because hey, it's getting them into education, although hey, it may not be the ideal investment, it's getting them into education. Um, I remember in in my my freshman class, we had about a week of stock market thing in one class, which I was very interested in, right? So it peaked in interest, um, but I think if parents are out there investing or, or or, or, or you know, youth are, have that interest, they should explore the vehicle. And as parents, just like career planning, we can expose them to, hey, here's what real estate looks like. Hey, here's what owning a vacation or rental looks like. Hey, here's what the stock market looks like. Here's what crypto looks like. So exposing that, seeing where they're really drawn to, and then supporting them to gain more knowledge in those areas. It seems that when people
1: take their first jobs, and they may have a 401k and they've got several different choices, they're kind of frozen. They don't know what to do. They say your coworker next door. So what should I do? I mean, how could we prepare people better to make 401k allocation decisions?
2: Yeah, great question. I think a lot of it comes down to what's available at the workplace too. We, we do a study every year. It's, it's titled, who do you uh, go to for trusted financial guidance? And we have about uh, a third of the country that says, uh, uh, financial advisors or financial professionals, right? Um, 40%, I'm rounding these numbers a bit, but 40% say parents, coworkers, and friends, and then 25% say no one. So that's scary. Um, and yeah, I remember even back in my corporate day when a new plan would come out, heads would pop up and come over to and start asking me questions, right? Um, So I I think that, hey, if if we are introducing new plans at work, workplace programs could be very helpful, um, especially for those groups that are really concerned with their employees' overall wellness, uh, bringing in a financial wellness aspect or financial wellness counselors to support people making these decisions, which they haven't really been educated on until this point, right? So. Um, I think it's uh, uh, would be important for not only the employee to seek that information alone if the employer doesn't, but it could be a nice benefit if the employer really wants to focus on uh, you know, retaining uh, employees.
1: Very good. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Vince Shorb. He's the founder and CEO of the National Financial Educators Council which is an organization dedicated to promoting financial literacy. You can find out more at their website, financialeducatorscouncil.org. We'll be back after this.
3: Do you or someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics.
2: Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business.
0: You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
1: Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Vince Shorb. He's the founder and CEO of the National Financial Educators Council, which is dedicated to promoting financial literacy around the country. Their website financialeducatorscouncil.org.
2: Welcome back to the show, Vince. Thanks, Jordan. What are some things people can find at that website? Oh, you know, it's really focused on, we're focused on one main core area, which is helping people build and scale programs in their local community. So we call them local champions. And we're focused really on, on two paths of educators. One is a traditional educator that teaches groups, workshops, whether online or in person. Uh, We also focus on supporting coaches that work one-on-one with people uh, individually, and and our role really is to supply them with the training resources and support to build and scale the program. We also do a lot of advocacy initiatives surrounding uh, personal finance and financial literacy, promoting this agenda, uh, and uh, in addition, some research as well, just so people have access to information, whether they want to teach financial literacy or coach or just uh, you know improve their own finances, there's information there for everybody.
1: What, what are some of the results of the
2: research you've done? Uh, One of our biggest is our national test results we put out every year. Uh, I think we've tested upwards of 80,000 people on that. And, uh, you know, for 15 to 18 year olds, uh, the average has always been about 62 to 65 percent score on there. Uh, We also put out financial literacy standards for teachers, the first and only group to do so. Uh, We partner with the Danielson Group. Uh, who has the biggest, uh, most widely used traditional educator standards in the nation called the Framework for Teaching. We partner with her consultants to create the Framework for Teaching Personal Finance to help guide educators. And we also present uh, standards for learners starting at the uh, age three all the way through adult education to help those people teaching and coaching have clear outcome goals that they can work people through. We talked a lot about high school education, but how about college? What's the state of personal finance literacy education in colleges these days? Very poor. Again, I've been more boots on the ground about five years ago with colleges, did a lot of college tours, um, but uh, I haven't heard many changes. I know a lot of colleges contact us to bring a financial literacy program there. Uh, Sadly, most of them are like, hey, we want a speaker for 90 minutes or we want a two hour program which is great, what we can accomplish in that time is to inspire some of the students to crave out more information. Um, But we've, you know, the amount of colleges we've done very comprehensive programs for, uh, it should be a lot more, really. I I feel colleges should have a vested interest in the students' long-term success, especially with the cost of college, you know, outpacing inflation by a huge margin over the last 50 years. Um, so, you know, these, as you mentioned, the debt earlier, $1.8 trillion, $1.7 trillion going on student loan debt right now, scary situation. So I think, you know, it's their fiduciary responsibility to look after not only them getting a degree, but also making sure, hey, there's career paths lined up and we're doing our best to get them on the right foot financially. So why is it that there's resistance in the colleges to teach personal finance? I am not certain. I just same thing with high schools. I think it comes down to money and time, really. Um, and also there's set guidelines that have been established for many years. So you have the you know high school graduation requirements. You have the college graduation requirements. These are established policies. And anytime you're trying to change something so deeply rooted with a lot of uh, external influences having some say over that, There presents challenges, but I think there is a business case for colleges. You know, forget about the altruistic reason they should do it. There's a business case to do it. I think it could be a a student acquisition tool so they can – bring this out to their feeder schools and support them and receive some benefit. There's some sponsorship models. We did a lot of sponsorship models um, in the past, like with SunTrust, Wake Tech, um, uh, ASU, and some other models that were sponsorship oriented. Uh, Penn State was another big one. We did a huge sponsorship uh, model where third parties paid for it, right? And so that's it, it was a revenue generator for some of those organizations I mentioned. And so I think if they look at it from that perspective as well um, and understanding, hey, there's a way for us to acquire students, Uh, there's a way to get sponsorship funding and other third-party funds, and even there's some grant funding available, I'd say the sponsorship and the uh, client acquisition would be the two uh, most tangible, Um, it, it makes a ton of sense to me, and it's what's best for the students as well. Is it not something students are asking for? You know, with every school we go to, there's going to be, and, and this is what it always seems like, there's it, it's a bell curve. You know, there's that 10, 20% that are just hungry for information. They want to learn it. They wish they had that information. They're like me, right? They're like me in high school. Some people are like, yeah, this is cool. I, I, I'm glad I took this class, but they're not super into it, then you have the you know 20% like, I don't care, right? So everything's like a bell curve. I find that with financial literacy as well. And I think that's part partly our fault in this industry because when they're first exposed to personal finance, let's say in high school or, or other area, if they are lucky enough to get it, it's typically not presented in a way that's going to engage them and help them develop reasons. The key is to teaching youth to engage them, help them develop and connect reasons with their ultimate goals with needing to know this information. We need to make it stand out from all the other classes. Um, and I think just even look at myself in, in school, I was, you know, I'm like, why am I taking this? Every subject almost, why am I taking this? I'll never need this. I don't need advanced biology. I'll never need this. I don't care. Um, and I think students get into this attitude where they don't need it. Oh, I have to learn. Instead, education could be a great way to explore interesting things that they're into. And I think if more students had developed these reasons or were taught good initially uh, where they're connecting, hey, being able to live independently, being able to go out with my friends, being able to have romantic relationships where I'm not embarrassed that I have to go, you know, sneak in uh, Taco Bell to the movies. Um, I think if we can connect that at a young age, it will inspire a lot more. And that's, you know, part of of my role and our, our company's role is to inspire that next generation that is interested. And how about the workplace?
1: I mean, now you have people who have a job. They've got 401k decisions to make. They may have employee benefits to deal with. Are employers doing a good job at educating their
2: employees about these things? Some are doing an outstanding job. We've seen and uh, built uh, some great workplace financial wellness programs. Um, and I think it's it's more of a trend, especially with the new, uh, you know, a push uh, to support workers and workforce development. Um, I think there is a, a bigger push toward this. We'll continue to see. I know last time after we had a, a, a market challenge back in 2008, 9 Um, uh, There was a big spike in employers wanting uh, this type of programming. Uh, So I think they connected, hey, it was impacting their employees. Um, So we'll see what happens in the future. Uh, But I think it's a great opportunity, again, not just for the altruistic reason, right? You want to help your employees, but also there's a business case to be made with retention, uh, reducing stress uh, and helping them get answers in a place that's a, a safer environment.
1: Let's talk about some of the current economic conditions and how that affects financial literacy. Clearly, inflation is at the highest levels. It's been about 40 years with energy prices and food prices and all kinds of things up. What do people need to learn about how to deal with inflation in this environment that's that's new for a lot of people?
2: Yeah, yeah, it is a challenging time for many, and I I think it really depends on their financial situation. So if we look at uh, the country as a whole, you know, and in the status from Financial Wellness Institute, um, yeah, we look about 30 percent of the country is financially healthy, right? They can pursue opportunities over time. They, they have some base level security. Um, and, and for them, um, you know th- there's you know this is a time to talk with your professionals, right, your financial advisor, CPA, and other people on your team, look at your plan again, re strategize and and they're in position to take advantage of of some opportunities that can present themselves. Uh, we look at about 17-20% that are what they call financially vulnerable, which means hey, they're in bad shape, typically receiving some type of public assistance, and, and just barely hanging on. Uh, then we look at the big middle part, which is financially coping, 50-55% uh, of uh, those are hey, they 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 have their short-term needs uh, almost met, right? So they can maybe make it a month, um, but they're barely keeping their head uh, above water. So um, with that group, it's a Really critical time, especially with the average household cost going up $300 a month plus um, to take out that budget again. Take out that long-term plan. Relook at that. Uh, A lot of people just will create a budget or create a long-term plan once and put it away. They'll never adjust it. When major things change, inflation, gas prices, all these other things coming up. Uh, it's important to relook at that budget, make the appropriate changes, and decide, hey, are you gonna you know focus on trying to keep on track or are you just gonna, uh, uh, you know what's your plan during these these challenging times? So I think each individual is unique. I would say the biggest thing I would encourage everybody to do is to have those conversations. if you have those financial professionals. If not, relook at your plan um, and if you don't have one, create a plan because, when, when things uh, happen like they are now, we need to be prepared. Uh, I'm concerned about a lot of people's short-term security and needs, uh, especially with what might be coming in the future with this Fed rate, rate hike policy that's uh, going on right now. So I'm concerned about mortgage rates, potential for future recession, et cetera.
1: So what should people do if their basic costs, fuel, for example, uh, rent, food, kind of the necessities are going up sharply. Uh, Should they do a budget and cut back on the more dispensable things? What is the strategy to deal with inflation that people have to deal with today?
2: Yeah, uh, the golden question. Uh, The simple answer is they either need to earn more or cut back, right? Or they can take on debt. That's not the ideal solution, but they either need to make more or cut back on something, right? It's not an easy decision. Uh, Already these people, many of them, are just barely getting by. So what more can you cut back, right? What more can you do? Um, uh, So, uh, but really it comes down to those two choices. Hey, do I want to focus on my earnings and maybe pick up a part-time gig, a side gig, or do I find those areas that aren't so important to me and cut back? What is it that you're going to do is an individual decision? Uh, But just to narrow it down to two major categories, those are them.
1: And then on interest rates, the Fed has been raising rates. Clearly, they're going to be raising rates more. The prime rate that uh, all kinds of loans are tied to is going up. What should people do to deal with rising interest
2: rates? Yeah, definitely keep an eye on your credit cards, right? I think that's an important thing in in this type of uh, uh, arena, Uh, any other adjustable loans to keep an eye on. Um, And I think now might be a time you shop. Different credit card opportunities if there's things that you can lock in if you're carrying debt If there's things that you can lock in for a longer term at those promotional rates the the low rates of zero one two three four um, percent Whatever the promotions they have going on now That's a good opportunity or calling your credit card company seeing if they have some uh, opportunities uh, uh, to you know uh, Transfer your money to another credit card that has different benefits, but you need to make sure you're watching your bill I'd say be proactive Start looking now for other opportunities. If you're carrying debt, um, and if if maybe your credit's bad or you can't get those opportunities, keep a close eye on your on your credit um, uh, uh, credit card statement uh, and watch those interest rates because that will impact your budget.
1: Very good. We're going to have another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman with the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Vince Shorb, founder and CEO of the National Financial Educators Council an organization dedicated to providing financial literacy. You can find out more at their website, financialeducatorscouncil.org. We'll be back after this.
4: Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth in Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7. If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth in Equity's program. There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth in Equity, 888-262-5540. Or visit truthinequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners.
2: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
0: You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
1: Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Vince Shorb. He's the founder and CEO of the National Financial Educators Council, which is dedicated to promoting financial literacy in the country. Their website FinancialEducatorsCouncil.org. Welcome back to the show, Vince. Thanks, Jordan. So we've talked about younger people. Let's talk about older people for a moment. We've got the baby boomers that are hitting their 60s and 70s. They've had 401ks. Do you think they're pretty well uh, set for retirement now, or is, or is there a big gap there?
2: Yeah, it really depends on the individual. Uh, if you know, d- data points to many are are missing and, and are going to have struggling uh, golden years, right? Um, but it really depends on that individual. What well, we always tell people, hey, it's never too late. Um, yes, it could be more challenging because we don't have that time, uh, that money can work for us. But, uh, um, you know, we can still help them prepare for that next stage. Uh, so I always encourage people to keep hope seek information, and and get that guidance you need to feel supported along that decision-making. If you have, you know, even a a small nest egg, you can talk to that financial advisor and and start to, you know, share with them, hey, what you're looking for, what you're worried about, your risk profile, and and kind of what you're looking to attain, Um, and then backwards designing a plan that fits you. Um, So, Uh, Again, my message there is of hope for those people that that are commonly out there that feel like, hmm, I may have missed the boat. A
1: lot of people are depending on Social Security. I think it's something like 40% of the people, it's their main source of income. What is your outlook for the long term of both Social Security and Medicare?
2: I'm scared. Um, (laughs) You know, you look at the, they have that prediction when that will be insolvent, and it seems like it's approaching faster and faster. Uh, We already owe a ton of money and they're just like printing out trillions of dollars like it's nothing. Oh, another trillion you, another trillion you. It feels like an Oprah Winfrey giveaway show, right? Um, So there's going to come a day of reckoning. And sadly, I'm concerned that our older generation, um, uh, you know, federal employees and other people that are tied to that uh, government systems may be the greatest impacted. Uh, so I would strongly suggest, hey, you know, consider you have know, Social Security, if the benefits decrease, what are you going to do? And please plan ahead.
1: So what should people do? I mean, they've talked about this for a long time. They've never acted on it, yeah. but either they're going to have to raise the Social Security taxes or lower the benefits one way or another before the thing becomes insolvent. What do you think is actually going to happen? You
2: know, uh, (laughs) I thought (laughs) I knew what governments would do, but over the last uh, three years, I can tell that they have no clue and they don't have the answers. They're just pushing the buck with many things. Um, So uh, uh, I wish I could, uh, you know, be the voice of logic and just even looking at this inflation thing. It's like, okay, well, I thought it was just logical looking at, oh, they're printing money. Okay, another trillion here, another trillion here. Well, we're probably gonna have inflation. Oh no, it's gonna be transitory inflation. No, it's actually inflation. So, I wish I could tell you what's in these uh, uh politicians' minds. I can't, but I'm hoping they have the best interests of Americans out for.
1: It. Let's talk about the stock market again. We've had a tremendous rise since the 2008-2009 crash. Uh, it's pretty much been going up ever since. But so far this year, it's been kind of rocky. Uh, people are worried about the Federal Reserve raising interest rates, the inflation, the war, and Russia and Ukraine. What is your outlook for the stock market? And have we seen the peaks? Are we in a long-term bear market here
2: now? Yeah, you know, um, uh, I saw the the uh, you know, when when COVID hit, right? So I may not be the best predictor of information because I saw COVID hit. I'm like, yeah, it's going to tank a lot of the stocks in the stock market because they're, um, you know, <laughs> they're not earning the revenue they weren't. But the stock market stays stays strong. So there's things that are, define my logic here. Um, I've been short for a little bit, so uh, uh, I may not be the, 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 the bull that everybody likes to talk to right now. Um, my hope is, hey, it, it's you know, for me personally, I hope it dumps. But I know for the average American, I, I really want to, to continue uh, building and growing their assets. But, um, you know, like anything, I'm not the predictor of that. And what we teach people is, hey, to seek out enough information so you can make your own decisions. I made mine. I've been eating my losses here for the past bit, um, but I made the decision and and I'm okay with it. And, uh, you know, I think other people, you need to make your decisions and have enough information to have a, a intelligent conversation with your financial advisor um, and other people, your CPA and other people. Um, so you're the one ultimately making that decision. And so you know enough to sleep soundly at night, no matter which way you think that market's going to go. I mean, some would
1: say we're at the peak of a huge financial bubble that's been inflated by all this money being printed, not only by the Federal Reserve but around the world. Tech stocks got wildly out of, uh, you know, any sense of reality. Uh, Bitcoin went way up, and now all that's deflating. Do you see it that way?
2: Um, yeah, I mean, it's just uh, again, I don't have that that crystal ball, but I see there's trouble. I'm 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 watching it regularly because I think something's going to happen but I've been wrong many times before. <laughs> when I think I'm right, I'm wrong. So um, again, I, I just want to encourage those people out there that, you know, to gain that knowledge. And in shows like yours and other shows where you're listening to a variety of people's opinions, uh, getting their information and processing what you're hearing out there, processing what you're reading and, and, and picking up that knowledge to be able to make educated decisions that, that you can live with, right? And that will fit into your portfolio uh, is definitely what I suggest.
1: How many states are currently uh, mandating personal financial education as a uh, requirement
2: for uh, graduation from high school? It's like 20, 24, but the, the problem is I, I haven't really seen a state I'm impressed with. First, uh, it starts too late. Most start in high schools. So there'll be a little stuff in, in elementary school, and also the time dedicated to that is very minimal, 10 hours. Utah has a one-semester course, which is awesome. Kudos to them. But- try speaking a foreign language after a one semester course right no habla espanol bien right um so this is two this is that's two years of spanish right so um it, it's 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 not something we can cram in the other issue is it's it's fit in with other subjects and there's no uh, many states don't require testing, so if the teacher doesn't feel confident teaching or or out there, uh, uh, you know, really understanding what they're presenting, they're not going to do a good job conveying that, and that leads me into teacher education, which is critical. And we go into schools and school districts and teach their their educators how to deliver this training. The 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 training we're doing to help them teach their students is being hijacked with questions by the teacher saying, "Hey, what do I do with my, you know, retirement plan? What should I, what should we do here?" You know, they're asking personal finance questions themselves, which is wonderful, um, but it needs to also, you know, we need to focus them on getting that knowledge before so they know and are confident what they're teaching, and then also helping them uh, teach those uh, individuals. And that's not required in any state with the level it's needed. Again, if you're teaching history, you went to school for six-plus years learning those topics. Financial literacy, they'll throw a gym coach in there with the materials they hey, go for it. Is there a big
1: difference between the
2: states that do require financial education and those that do not? You know, there's been some studies on it. Finner put out a study a few years ago on uh, on, uh, on credit scores, and they showed some improvement. Um, you know, one of the things that uh, I really am, am, am pushing and we're considering how we can be involved in this is, is longer-term studies of, uh, of, of the actual outcomes, right? I believe in education. I see what pre- and post-test results, I see what the you know measurements are when we're doing check-ins and so forth we're seeing improvement but i really want an independent study on that uh at a wide enough scale where we're getting uh you know a very diverse population from you know higher socioeconomic areas to lower socioeconomic areas uh so we have more information to really promote this cause again i can talk about what i've seen in in my area but i think a a big empirical uh, study on this would be very helpful to promote the industry. And that's where I think the government organizations should focus that are in the space. A lot are focused on creating curriculum that's already out there. Instead, let's bring them together to get the data that's needed to support the independent companies in this industry. In the roughly two minutes we have
1: left, why don't you kind of summarize what difference it would make in society if we had much more personal
2: financial education in all the areas we've talked about here? Yeah, it'd be my hope that uh, society would benefit in many ways. First, that person uh, would live a uh, more rewarding, fulfilling life. Uh, again, financial literacy is no guarantee that they're going to be financially successful, um, but it can help them make more confident decisions. And there's always a little luck, a little risk, little opportunities uh, there that will play a part. But my hope is, hey, the individuals that that have that on their side in our financial are are happier, healthier, have access to quality food, uh, good medical care, um, and then their family and friend benefits. So it cascades over to their family, friends, and loved ones. So if their uh, mom or dad gets sick, they can take care of them. Um, if, if somebody in their family, uh, family loses a job, they can bring them in for a little bit to get them on their feet and it cascades over to the local level as well. I think people that are, are more financially secure are in better position to help others, whether that be through charity tithing, whether it be through donations, whatever, um, and being, pre- being prepared for upcoming challenges, they're better prepared to help the society. Uh, so my goal is, you know, really going back to the school thing is to graduate, People that have the skills to be independent, contributing members of society, self-sufficient and contributing. So I think that's really key uh, for America and, and for other countries across the globe. Very good. Well,
1: thanks so much. My guest this hour has been Vince Schorb. He's the founder and CEO of the National Financial Educators Council which is dedicated to promoting financial literacy across the country. You've learned a lot about what's going on out there, and certainly you can become involved yourself in financially educating your kids. You can find out more about him at his website, financialeducatorscouncil.org. Thanks so much for being a great guest on The Money Answer Show, Vince. Thanks, Jordan. I appreciate it. Thanks again, we'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show.